Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses, often in a tough competitive environment, like today's guest. Amo is the founder of Boomerang. They are like the OG of email marketing tools back before anyone believed that you could create an add-on for Gmail. And I don't even know if Gmail like knew that you could create an add-on for Gmail. They created an add-on for Gmail that would allow someone to send out a message and then get a Boomerang response back to to make sure that the person they were emailing responded or was followed up with. That was one of many tools. I remember they even created the email game to make getting down to inbox zero fun. They were playing around with this stuff and it was clever. It was ahead of its time. And I feel like in many ways they were neglected because they weren't part of Silicon Valley the way others were. And then one day, and I I was a user of theirs, so I, I followed them. And then one day, I read this article somewhere about how they needed funding and they were so clever about the way they got it that they were willing to offer an investor a taxi ride, I think, to the airport. And through that ride, they raised money. And I thought, these people are pretty good hustlers. (laughs) And then I started wondering over the years, what happened to them? What happened to them as a lot of their features, like this bounce back feature, was copied by everyone from, I think Gmail has it. I know Outlook copied it. What happens when there are all these new players who come in who are charging? What happens to Boomerang? And while I'm at it, why is it not called Boomerang? Why do they have that other funky name that, you know, that I don't even see used anymore? Why did they even use it back then? There's so many questions that I've got for her, but the big thing is, how did you start How did you get here in the face of so much difficulty? And we could do this thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first, if you're working on a great idea and need phenomenal developers, you already know you should be going to lemon.io slash Mixergy. And the second, to do email marketing right, meaning with all the features and the right price, you should go to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. But I'll talk about those later. Mo, what's the revenue now? Give me like a sense of where where we're going with the story. We're between eight to nine million ARR. Impressive. How much funding did you take on overall? We took $420,000 in 2011. That's it? That's it. That's it. Okay. All right. And today, the features are... I, I can go through the features. Like, yes, there's still the bounce back, uh, the boomerang feature, mm-hmm. the scheduling feature, which means while you're in your inbox, you can make it easy for somebody to schedule with you, right? Mm-hmm. Give me some of the other features. What else do you do at Boomerang? We have a real-time AI assistant to help you write better emails. So when you're writing an email, you want to make sure that your tone is on point, your politeness is you know, to the right level, and making sure that your email is as respondable as possible. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing outbound and cold outreach, you know the first impression you make is really important. So for those emails, we have respondable. Like like Grammarly, but for results. You're not checking to see if my grammar is right. You're checking to see, will I get the response I want based on your experience having sent out countless emails over the years? Exactly. We also Mm -hmm. have this unique position. We've been tracking whether which of these emails have gotten a response or not from the response tracking feature that you mentioned earlier, right? So we have millions of data points to track if you return an email this way, did you get a response? And that data set was the training ground for us to build a respondable feature. Mm-hmm. And then we okay. also have things like inbound pause, which is, you know, we believe that 
people are getting too frazzled. People are getting too interrupted. And there is no time for you to kind of make space for your mind to be focused on what matters, major initiative, right? When you need to sit down and write this strategy document, you need to pause your inbox and be able to go without interruption. Um, so that's, we also have things like you can actually- That's like the vacation autoresponder, but it works for minutes or hours as opposed to days or months. Uh, it's more than the vacation responder in the sense that it just doesn't send back out, hey, I'm not checking email. It's actually stop the email from coming into your inbox in all devices. So you don't, you know, you're out with your kids or you're having your family time. The email notifications are not pinging you all the time. Okay, let's go back to where this started. Why is the company called Baden? It's a Burmese word. So I'm originally from Burma. And okay. it's a Burmese word for uh, foretelling the future through magic. We wanted everything we build to feel like magic to the user, where mm -hmm. it's just effortless. And we kind of anticipate almost your need on what you need to do and make it effortless. Okay, because you weren't... Is it because you weren't sure where you were going with the business or you just said, we want to find a way to make things magical, effortless, and email was one of the places you were going to start? Yes. Um, it goes even farther back. <laughs> Do okay. you really want to get into this? A little we bit, have, yes. We had a product call. It's called Unsearch in the sense that you don't have to search. When you're writing an email, we wanted to expose what are the other pieces of information in your corporate network? I think we were thinking about like basically indexing SharePoint and giving you the information that you need for the email that you're writing and maybe also give you like here are the people from your you know company that you need to uh, contact with for the project that you're working on. So that was the original idea of where we wanted to start. And that's was why it because you said this will be our first point, but we are going to create magical experiences and we have yeah. an ambition to go. It was, oh, yes. I thought you were maybe hunting for the right thing. No, you wanted to create a portfolio of, of software, all doing different things with one common, uh, co with one common, uh, concept, simplify yes. the thing that people do a lot. And then how did you end email was just one of them. How'd you end up doing email and what was the entry point into it? The main thing was um, we were getting our own, you know, follow-ups and everything else that's related to the modern inbox management, taking up most of our days, right? So both Alex and I were working, you know, we were four or five years out of college and we were working in big companies where we weren't doing our job as much as we were doing inbox management. And I try everything. I try 43 folders, right? GTD, hacking it into my own inbox. We were trying out with tiny little script that we find. And there was nothing that was quite like on top of what I need to follow up on and what I need to remember which email. So I try everything from like putting things into the calendar, right? Then your calendar is full up all the reminders, like nothing was quite there. So we started hacking around to see we can solve that problem for ourselves. And it did. And then we started showing it to our friends. And they're like, yes, I need this. Give it to me. So what it was started in their first version that they liked. 
uh, mostly just the snooze ability to bring it back to your inbox. And we didn't even have the response tracking yet. It was just like, I don't need this now. I'll need it in three weeks. Got it. It's in my inbox right now. I usually would save it as unread, but then it cr clutters up my Clutter inbox. Everything. If you could just take it yeah. away and send it back. How did you do it back then? I don't think Gmail had the APIs to enable no, that, did it? We no, we packed it around. What did you do? Uh, first part, we did a Grease Monkey script on the browser side to get the front end integration. And then on the back end, we just uh, did the IMAP integration into Gmail. And then we so in Grease Monkey, I don't think it even exists anymore. I don't know if it does. It's a plugin <laughs> that basically let other plugins do some magical work, usually by hiding things or making things visible. Yes, yes, you are adding injecting JavaScript onto the Gmail page with Grease Monkey. Okay, so you did that, and then because Gmail did have IMAP, I think from the very beginning, very you were beginning. able to to do what with the mail? Mm -hmm. You would mark it as read. No, we actually move it out of your inbox by applying a label called Boomerang to it. Okay. And then for a certain amount of time, and then we set a timer with Cron, and then when the timer comes up, we move it back to inbox. Got it. Okay. All right. This is fairly basic and easy to do. It just shows a sense of... I don't, I don't know, of scrappiness, of duct tape type creation, and also yeah. how big the need was that people would install Grease Monkey. And I know at the time people were more curious about what else could they get their computer to do. They were willing to do it. Right. But also there's like a privacy issue with email. Yeah, they were willing to do it. It was kind of sketchy for people to install this in their inboxes from, you know, some yeah. rando, right? We were just some kids on the internet. They don't need, they didn't know anything about us. We want a trusted company. But, Where were you living at the time? Because you're outside of you're outside of Silicon Valley. One of the things that I know was eventually Heaton Shaw, who is one of like the main people within that community because he helped mm -hmm. everyone. He installed your software on Dave McClure's computer. <laughs> That's like gutsy for him to do that on someone's computer. But you would you got an entry through people who are in. Where were you? You weren't living in San Francisco. We were in Boston. Heaton was also in Boston, and oh, we were part of there. the Boston Started community. Yeah, we came out yeah. of MIT, so we have connections to just you know Boston tech scene from there. Okay. And How'd you meet Heaton? I think one of these like Boston mess in no night, one of those litter startup events, and we were Got basically it. going, showing up, and showing what we built to people. Okay. I remember like taking buses to get to you know some Oof. suburb. <laughs> suburb of Boston with our own little laptops and like we didn't have any like you know money to be like sponsoring the event or anything we just show up as uh, attendees and then we bring up our laptop and like hey can I show you something I'm building and that's <laughs> I used to host events like that and I loved it mm -hmm. you'd get some random people who, who were completely clueless and going nowhere mm -hmm. but you'd also get some random people who had a clue into some insight in the future or how things should be and mm -hmm. they ended up going to spectacular heights. Okay, so you did this. People were interested. At what point did you start charging for it? So that was a little bit later, about 11 months after we launched, that we started thinking about just monetization in a... So it's even farther back. It's kind of interesting. We released as a free product, right? We just mm -hmm. want... It, it, was, it went viral, right? And we had like friend page of dig at the time that matter, right? Right now, nobody goes to dig, but it was friend page of dig. 
um, we got on. Which is like a Reddit uh, site. Site, yeah. Yeah, where people and get to the, vote, and it's all one group of people vote. It's everyone voting on the same things that go to the homepage, okay? So we got probably hundreds of thousands of install, and people started using it, and we just started getting requests from customers asking for a PayPal button to donate money to us. And we were like, wow, like this is a, you know, off real value. At the time, we just build it, we get users, we will see where it goes. And now we are starting to see that there is real, you know, monetary value that people are willing to contribute to keep the project running, right? And we call it a voluntary subscription instead of donation because we didn't want, we are like, okay, this is a business. We don't want you to just think of us a few kids, you know, hacking around. We want to be taken seriously. So let's call it voluntary subscription. We put a PayPal button where they can type in whatever they want, amount that they want to pay. And we call it it's a voluntary subscription. When we start charging for it, whatever you pay here will get you one year of subscription. And because we maybe primed it as subscription, people started giving us in multiples of 12. So some people pay $12, some people pay 24, 36, the highest was 120, right? So this, these are people who have no reason to pay us. It's free product, it's out there, we're just building it and they decided that this is worth 120 to me. So that's where we started to get the confidence to start charging. I call up everybody, um, all the heavier users. I call up people who were, you know, paying as voluntarily to just kind of talk through what's the value you're getting? How, like, if we start charging for it, how much would you pay? Would it be on your company car? Would it be on your personal car? Right? All kinds of interesting uh, pricing questions and half the people are like, oh, if you start charging, I'm not going to use it. <laughs> and, you know, your, your company will die if you start charging. I was like, well, <laughs> if, you, if we don't charge, our company will die too, right? So that's after about, I think, I think I made between 50 to 100 calls. And we kind of started to set up the subscription levels and we show it to one of our investors and he asked me this really and I still remember the moment where he's like Mo are you comfortable paying these prices I was like yes you know this is what I would pay if I mm -hmm. because we were using it too right and we build a product because we wanted to use it and as users I was comfortable paying these prices and he's like then you're not charging enough he's like founders Ooh. tend to make the mistake of undercharging for their products especially founders who use their own product. So he's like, triple it. So we actually did. We went from like, not quite triple, but he's like, what would you be willing to pay but not that comfortable and kind of grumble about it? <laughs> so we set the price to the $5.15 a month. 15 a month for software at the time was a lot. And I was like, yeah, I would pay 15 It would, you know, it would be like doable, but not happy about it. And he's like, that's the right price. Who is this investor? Uh, Manu Kumar. He's with K9 Ventures. So he's in Lyft okay. and a few other Trilio, a bunch of awesome places. 
Let's talk about your investment. In fact, I should first say, my sponsor is Lemon. Anyone out there who needs to hire phenomenal developers, you should know that the founder of Lemon started out by by finding Ukrainian developers for his friends who all said, oh, you're Ukrainian? Can you introduce me to Ukrainians? Because they knew Ukrainians are phenomenal developers, and we've actually discovered that now uh, because of the war. Um, how many people in our space are from Ukraine and are now dislocated or out fighting? Anyway, he discovered that and he said, sure, I'll make matches. He started making matches as a favor and as a friend. And then he said, you know, there's a business in here. There's so many people asking for matches. I will do it. I will vet the people for them. I will be the intermediary and I will make sure that they could hire phenomenal developers. Unfortunately, because of the war, a lot of those developers are either outside of the country or had to go in and to battle. And so he said, I need to stretch my company beyond this in order to survive, in order to take care of the Ukrainians who work for me, which he decided that he would continue to pay for them, whether or not they could continue to work. So he said, I'm going to expand. And it forced him to expand beyond Ukraine to other countries where developers are phenomenal, where people have a hard time accessing those developers. And by the way, the prices are reasonable. And because of the way that he works it, he's not saying, here's a message board, go and find them, or here's a job board, go and find them. He's saying, I, my team and I will help you find the right match, the right developer. We'll make sure the price is good. We'll make sure the developer is fantastic. And if you use my URL, mine, Andrew Warner's URL, you're going to, yes, help me show him that I'm a good friend who can help him get more, more customers. But also, you'll get a better discount than other people. All you have to do is go to lemon.io slash Mixergy, L- do I have to spell lemon? No. Lemon.io slash M-I-X-E-R-G-Y. All right. Thanks, Lemon. All right. Let's talk about develop, uh, fi- financing. At what point did you decide we need to raise money? Um, we were raising money right before we started charging, even before we started charging, because we were, you know, towards the end of the our credit card. And <sighs> <laughs> we didn't How much count debt did you money. have on your card? Uh, we were... I don't know how, if we got into too much. I think about four thousand. Because what happened oh, is, bad. yeah, we Alex and I were out of MIT. We were working at big companies. I am an international student with student loans at you know astronomical rates because I didn't have a federal you know loans or co-sponsors or anything like that. Right. So basically, I had international students and secure loans. And we have to pay off those um, and basically set ourselves up as, you know, adult, young adult professionals. So we worked for about five, six years out of college. And from those savings, we were able to pay off the student loans, right? And build up enough cushion to be able to uh, start this without a full-time job. And original plan was... Alex was um, going to go do it full-time, and I'm going to stay at my full-time job so that we have somebody paying the rent. <laughs> and we did. And we move out to, like, you know, way out into the boonies in uh, Boston so that our rent was cut in half. All kinds of things that we did to basically make sure that we can go a little bit longer without salaries. And then... We were trying to raise funding in Boston. We were striking out mainly because what we were trying to build was, as you said, nobody knew you could make money from, you know, email productivity and especially build on top of uh, somebody's platform like Gmail. So we pitched probably like 30, 40 investors, strike out on every single one of them. And then we, by happenstance, we were in Silicon Valley for about, a few days between two weddings. 
and we got a we saw a tweet from Dave McClure asking for a ride because his car was in the shop and we went from the Silicon Valley so he just said bucks he's like if somebody comes pick me up at bucks I will you know let you pitch me on the way to uh, his car dealership so it wasn't uh-huh. to the airport it was actually to the dealership and he when he tweeted it I was like okay we'll do it we were you know staying in this terrible motel in Sunnyvale or Santa Clara called Sundowner Inn. Even the name was kind of depressing. And we were supposed to go see a VC that uh, Alex knew from his fraternity. And that VC canceled, canceled the meeting. So we were just like depressed in a depressing hotel room. Saw the tweet. We were like, nothing to lose. Let's do this. And he, I asked Dave McClure, hey, like, what's Bucks? <laughs> so apparently there's a place in, um, where's the town? Is I forget where Bucks is. It's in South Bay. It's right near where it's all the... It's near Mellow Park, yeah, and uh-huh. where all the VCs hang out, apparently. Yep. So he's like, oh, no, no, Bucks in this town. And we're like, okay, we'll look it up. And I was like, and we didn't really have, you know, great GPS in the cars and stuff. So I was like, okay, you drive. I'll stay in the hotel room and tell you where to go and give Ooh, you the direction. Really? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so basically, he drove up, even without knowing exactly where. He just started driving up 101. Okay. And then I gave him directions, and I was coordinating with Dave. And the main thing that stories that people didn't really know the layers of is Dave has this thesis about he needs three signal points before he makes a yes decision. And we were already talking to him through a connection that was we got from Boston. And we were supposed to schedule a meeting with him. And he's you know very hard to schedule. So we are like, oh, yeah, so-and-so already introduced us. So I was just kind of you know making sure that he knows what, who we are. And then his assistant, uh, his personal assistant, was using Boomerang. And then Heaton also told him. And he's like, oh, oh, you know, somebody else is doing this. And we're like, yes. And he's like, Heaton told me about this company that's doing this. And we're like, yes, that's us. So that's the three signals that he needed. So it didn't sound, it sounded a lot more random if you just tell a stranger, pick him up on the ride, and he wrote a 100K check. But it is kind of funnier that way (laughs) and the idea is you pitch him on the ride he and he wasn't necessarily thinking of closing the deal i thought i guess because of the way that it it came out it was pitch me and then maybe by the end you get a hundred thousand which i always wondered about and now i understand it's more like yes yes, you pitch me but i'm not closing it just because you you wow me just because you did yeah it's not he will he will listen to the pitch Mm mm-hmm Okay, and so now I'm yeah. seeing the different signals as they come about. I see how that worked out. Where did the other money come from? Uh, he was the we, first? He was the first check, yes. He was the first check-in. And then because he was in, he introduced us to more people. And then also we got introduction from Boston Techstar crew because we were part of Techstar Boston. So oh, you were? Yeah. So that's partly... Okay. That's where all the money come from is different. Uh, and almost all of them are 
angel investors aside from um, Dave and Manu Kuma, who is seed fund. So Manu was. Did Dave do it out of his own money or out of 500 startups, his uh, investment? It's 500 startup fund one, I believe. I see. Wow. We were like one of the very, very early stages of 500 startup. All right. You still own the domain Baden. That was the original name. Mm -hmm. It redirects, though, to boomerangapp.com. At what point did you say we are going all in on email? I don't exactly remember. It was probably some marketing director that we hired. It's like, we need to consolidate the brands and <laughs> figure out how, how to tell the story. Was, was so. it also the investors who said, stop doing everything else, get your eyes off of the other products, you hit it with email, it's a big enough market, every single person, literally everyone online is going to have email, just focus. Was it that? No, they, they've been telling us to focus forever. And so then why'd you finally focus? <laughs> well, because Gmail started copying some of our stuff in 2018. And we started to kind of like think about what are we going to do as a company? Are we going to become this and pay research lab for big companies forever? And trying out all the things and, you know, when things work, they copy and things that didn't work just kind of float around so 2018 when gmail started copying we kind of have this come to jesus moment of what do we want for our company how do we want to move forward and that's when we decided okay we gotta kill off things like the email game and a few other you know smaller things that are out there that's they don't generate revenue they create distraction they created a lot of, you know, basically maintenance and support headache for everybody. So we killed off four products, I believe. And some of them are not killed off. They actually got folded into the mainline Boomerang product. What was, I forget what email game was. Um, <laughs> I remember it was just like, can you do something within a certain amount of time? But I forget, what, what was it? How did it work? The concept was mostly um, you see one email at a time and you have to make a decision on whether you want to archive it in the sense of like, I'll need it later, delete it, I don't mm -hmm. need it, uh, bring it back when I need it or respond. So each of these actions get some points. And if you skip it, that's negative points because you're not making a decision and you're not clearing out the inbox. So it's the clearing your inbox game. And Got we it. have timers to kind of keep you moving and, you know, not get too bogged down and trying to like craft the perfect response, which we tend to get. Um, so that's, that was the original idea. Um, and I think some of these ideas live in, you know, currently popular other products like Superhuman, where they show you one email at a time and auto events to the next email and you know you have all these options to how to handle it but i think the timer and like the gamification of we turn the screen red if you're taking too long i think <laughs> a little bit too much and people people report it oh you're you know creating anxiety for me so we have to tone down some of it and i it wish was we one of those had things more sorry what, you wish you had more what resources to kind of like keep it 
uh, more develop and you know invest more in it. We just didn't have the team to do it. Um, I I'm looking at a mug that you made to try to make money off of the email <laughs> game. Is like in the frequently asked questions, do you like the email game? If you do, buy a mug. And the mug was email, like a a designed picture of a sad looking, angry looking email with a pitchfork and the words underneath it say, who's afraid of a big bad inbox. And on the back, it's email game, the domain that's on there. So you, you really were just kind of all over the place, trying a bunch of different things, seeing what worked and what didn't. You even had something called like Revive Inbox, which was basically a 21 day email drip campaign, I think, to try to yeah. help people who we just want to learn it's how to fix alive. their inbox. It's still alive. It's still alive. We just yes. need to update the content a little bit. And it's it's kind of like changing your inbox philosophy. Like It's like, you know, going on this like journey from you kind of deal with your inbox in a way that's not very structured philosophy or structured methodology on how to deal with it to like when you come out of that program, you'll have this is how I deal with email and you have a sustainable practice. That's what we were trying to do. But mostly as a content marketing, we were trying to do. Right. It was, yeah. there are people who don't want to sign up for new software. They just want to learn a methodology. We're going to teach them the methodology via email drip campaign. And by the way, this was created, this whole created drip by campaign TV. by Boomerang or the company that yeah. makes Boomerang. And then there are like parts of the content where we show them like, hey, you can snooze email. And if you're in Gmail or Outlook, you can use ours. If you're somewhere right. else, then you can, you know, kind of hack around this way. So it's mostly a marketing tool at the beginning. And then the content, we got really into it. And like the content was pretty incredible. Let's talk about some of the some of the marketing that worked for you in the beginning, Mo. Mm -hmm. if, if I remember right, first of all, we talked about this content marketing, revive your inbox with a whole standalone site, and it worked. It's what we used to call microsite. The email game would feed people into Boomerang, which was your paid program. You did some marketing with things like the life hacking bloggers. That helped you. Mm -hmm. You also, if I remember right, would have on the emails that would go out a message that said sent with Boomerang or something like that, right? So you had the original form of viral marketing, the one that was created back in the old Hotmail days, incorporated into your product right? We did it for the, our uh, mobile apps. Mobile apps, when you're sending from Boomerang apps, we say send with, I think we said type with, type with thumbs and send with love from Boomerang or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're just being cheeky. But not from the web to, Gmail version. Not from the web, plugin, no. we never did it. We never did it okay. um, for some, I think mainly because we wouldn't like it ourselves. And we tried to like kind of have very high empathy for the users and what we would like, what we don't like. So same thing with read receipt. When you want to track somebody, whether they open your email or not, we make sure that there's a way for you to opt out as a recipient. So that's okay. one of the major So then what did work for you in the early days? I want to go back to like when things were easier to see what worked and then go into what works for you today. So back then, uh, what things that really work was um, content that comes from data analysis. So that's one major thing that we had as a freemium free trial too. Is we have a lot of data. People, mm. you know, we are probably about I don't know how many half a billion messages scheduled by now, right? Like so, we have a lot of data on when people schedule emails, when people. Uh, one, to bring back email. What kind of emails do they track? 
uh, out of the emails that they track, what percentage of them get a response, that kind of data, is nobody else has it. So we had a data science um, guy who basically is writing out blog posts from uh, looking at data set. And some of the data yeah. set weren't even our own data set. We would look up like email data set that's publicly accessible like Enron and crunch data on it to be like, hey, what's the best kind of email greetings, right? Do you start with hi or hello? And how does that impact your response rate? So that really worked. We got on like Good Morning America, BBC, right, CNN, because this is an evergreen content. Everybody wants to know about how to write better emails, how to how to optimize your email for better. It's just people general interest, right? It's not so esoteric. And anybody who has email kind of is like, oh, this is interesting. So that generated a lot of both traffic and interest for the product. This was because Enron's email was public and you decided we're going to analyze it while people are talking about it and help understand which of their email was open and which one wasn't. And like which one was open, which one wasn't, how did the higher ups respond send messages, that kind of thing was done. Well, it was way after Enron scandal broke out, but mainly because they were public and it was easy to get data on for the email body. Because our privacy policy, we try to not use our customers' data for their email body unless they like it's completely anonymized. And we were just making sure that like, you know, there's no self-selection going on. Um, <clears throat> and if you use like public data sets, you just kind of get a little bit more of everything. So we were just kind of like, hey, what, what can we crunch from all these data sets that are out there and tell a story? So it's storytelling, data analysis, finding insight that nobody has before and a little bit of researchy bent to it, right? We want to know what, what, what are the things that change emails effectiveness. Okay. So now that I see that, let's talk about some of the things that were copied. You told me about the first feature that Google mm -hmm. copied. Which one was that? Uh, they started copying Snoop first and then they copied Send later. And then when that happened, those were two of the key parts of your software what happened to your customers when they created this comp this copycat uh the main thing that happened is uh it affected our growth uh basically kind of you know make it so that when people are looking for those things before we own that seo and everything else and just by both you know word of mouth slash SEO, everybody who's looking for these solutions found us. Now, when they need it, they either don't even go look for it because Google already has it in there, or when they go look for it, Google send them to their own things because they own also the Google search engine. So it mainly impacted our um, growth from the casual users. So the professional users, people who are superpower users, are still paying us and still finding us because even for those things, we do it much better because we didn't build it just for, you know, general public. We build it for people who needed it as in a, a little bit more. What did they need direction. that wasn't available through Google's system? 
So right now, um, the main thing is the response tracking. So if I send you an email and if I don't get a response, I want to be reminded. That part is still, you know, we did it from, I don't know, 2011, 2012. So it's still the major part of... Got it. So heavy users are not looking for every message to be snooze. They just want the ones that don't get a response back to come back in their inbox so they know to say, did you get a chance to look at this or this is urgent or something. Oh, yeah. I see. Exactly. And then we also, if you're like snoozing a lot of emails, you want the menu to be customized to exactly how you use it. So like I have a... Monday morning at 9 a.m. as this customized thing. I also have things that I need in the weekend for Saturday at, you know, 3 p.m. Right. So like right. the menu customization, if you're a super power user, there are things that you want. And like we can actually, you can actually type in Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern time and it will just figure out what time it is and make it, sh you know, go to the right time. So that kind of extra like little bit of, professionalism that you don't get from the main gmail menus okay and so at that point you said we have to start focusing because there's competition coming into the space and we have to see what makes us better and what makes us better is we have much more power users uh features for power users that's the thing that makes us better um and then when the number of customers who are coming in slow down, what did you do to combat that? Um, so <laughs> 2019, I actually took a year off from Boomerang. We were just burned out. And, you know, we've been working on this for mm. eight, nine yeah. years by then. Um, so I took the whole year off just to kind of figure out what we wanted to do next. Uh, I travel a lot. I went and became a VC advisor for about two months. I did productivity consulting and like help people figure out their workflow, just tinkering around to see what we were going to do. And because I was doing like, you know, angel investing, so I was meeting founders. And because I was meeting so many people, I was scheduling a lot of meetings. And I was trying out Calendly and a few other tools. And nothing was quite right. I was like, why can't we fix this problem? Like, this is a problem that, you know, remains to be solved, even with, like, popular tools that are out there. And I think the push comes from the fact that I'm kind of, like, slightly lazy in the sense of, like, I don't want to do all the work to schedule a meeting and, like, and also have a very high standard of user experience. So I was like, you know what? We could fix this because we have this technology that we have patented that is a live image generation within your email for a long time. Why don't we use that to bring this live image of your schedule that consulted from your Google Calendar and put it in your email and the other person can see the time. I don't have to click through to find what time you're available, scrolling through different calendars, and then typing in your names and emails. All of this is like general inconvenience for both parties. Why don't I just put it right there in the email where you don't ever have to leave and make this flawless? And make it 
make it more customized to the individual you're sending it to because yes. I might have a need to talk to you tomorrow and sending you my Calendly link mm-hmm. with all five days worth of like every weekday worth of availability. It's a mistake because you might pick next week, but I want to talk to you tomorrow and just show exactly. you that. Or I might want you to have more options than other people and I'm not going to create another Calendly link just for you so that you have it right. And then... Outlook was enabling that. The problem with Outlook's version of that was if a meeting was booked by someone else at the time you just sent a person, that person would still be able to book that meeting. It wasn't aware of who else booked, right, who was on the calendar. Yeah, so we want to make sure that there's no double booking. There is a lot of, you know, customization and personalization features that we want where time zones, we actually are able to show the times in two time zones, three time, two time zones that are across from each other and put it right there so you can kind of see. And then, yeah, basically we ba- we build it so that <clears throat> if you want super customizable, you can say, I want to give you this five times. And then those are the five times that you get and you can click it and it, it's all done. Or if I want it to be more flexible, then I can do the Calendly type of rolling availability where the image just slide to whenever you opened it, right? So if I send it to you today, but you're off on your honeymoon and you came back two months later, that image is still live. So there are a lot of things that we wanted to kind of handle it just so. And I started pushing our tech team to be like, can we do this? Can we do this? Let's figure it out. And then we built it and I started using it. And I was like, this is it. This is, this, is the, this is the way people need to schedule their meetings. And like, that's what the next decade should be. This is how people should think about scheduling for the next, like, it's kind of like snooze, right? Like, but, but there's the pre-snooze and post-snooze era. And that's and like, what brought you this back. This is the next thing. That, that's why I came that back. You started and, to see a need and you said, okay, I'm excited and invigorated by this. It's not just improving yes. email a little at a time. It's a whole new, th- okay, let me say this. Anyone who's listening to this, you've been hearing about email marketing from the recipient point of view. Let's talk about it from the sender's point of view because one of the best ways to reach people is through email marketing. And there are tons of software out there for email marketing. Why am I suggesting that you use Send in Blue? Let me say that slowly. They're the sponsor. Send in Blue. Because what Send in Blue does is they have all the smart automation features that you're looking for. They also will integrate with SMS. I have to say to you, Mo, I talk to guests about Send in Blue and I, and I say, is it something you use or not? I had this one guest say, I use it, but, oh, I would use it. Yes, but we get more traction from SMS, from text messaging. Well, This is included. They will do text messaging. They will do chat communication. They will do automation. They'll do all the things you're expecting and then some. What they won't do is give you a low teaser price and then jack the price on you later. What they won't do is make it too complicated to use that you'll say, this is a good feature when you sign up. But a year later, say, why don't we ever use that feature? We must not be doing something right. We must be at fault. No, it's not you at fault. It's the other software that makes it too difficult. So you don't use it. All right. If you want to get started, I'm going to give you a discount on their already low prices. All you have to do is go to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. Sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. By the way, had the, the business do mo in the year that you took off? It was okay. We basically kind of, you know, continue to 
support our current features. And then we were building something called Boomerang Insights, which is kind of like personalized report on your email habits and insights that can like improve your email game, right? So it will tell you like, hey, you tend to check email 20 times a day. Here are the times that you do check. Uh, this is how you can get better focus time, that kind of stuff. Okay. And so they were working on that. I'm assuming that growth was maybe not going to, was growth just flat or was it still continuing? Was subscriber base flat or growth was still continuing? It was continuing, but like not, not at the rate that we had before. And then we also didn't spend any marketing, right? We were basically cut it to just bare minimum. Okay. And so then when the business was on autopilot, that's where it was. You come back in. How long did it take you to, to get this new um, scheduling feature implemented? It's about a year, a little bit over a wow. year. And then we did it in three phases. We started with the suggest time, which is, you know, ability to offer specific times to people. Like I pick Monday at two, Tuesday at five, Wednesday at three. And then you put it into an email, they send it off. And that has a little bit of higher startup cost as in like, as a sender, you have to choose the individual time and send it off. Mm-hmm. And then we have share free busy, which is just like, I am pretty open book, especially people like who they're in sales or outbound facings. They don't care when you want to call them, right? So they just give like, here's my availability nine to five. Whenever I'm free, just call right. me. Uh, so that's. On the, I'm a kind of a control freak, so I don't use that feature as much. And then, so those two were a little bit easier to build, so we got them out. And then the last part is the newest one that we just launched this April called Bookable, which is you set up a schedule and then the image is a sliding window of your availability to whatever time you are looking at. Oh, and the image is a screenshot from the calendar minus what's, what's there, just the availability. Yes, availability, and then you can book directly from the image. And depending on when you are looking at the image is refreshing so that you are never double book. So that part was a little bit harder to build. And we did pretty interesting technical work. Basically, like we built a matrix and mapping image mapping in the matrix to to kind of know which uh, click your, which, you know, grid you are clicking and what time it correspond to. Because so, images on HTML images have always allowed you to have what they, I guess it's called uh, mapping, where each pixel essentially could have its own URL. And that's what you've yeah. created for each individual email updated in real time whenever the person checks the message. Yes. So that's, and the harder part is like making it work across all email platforms, right? You're sending it from Gmail, but they're opening it in Outlook. We want to make sure that it renders and behave correctly. We have an Outlook product where they send it from Outlook. It should still work in everywhere else. And then the next part, the next step of the product roadmap is making sure that if you're a user sending an image from the, your availability from Gmail and you're opening it in a different place, mm-hmm. your ability to overlay your own schedule without even uh, yeah. your So I think there is a major advantage being a third-party middleman because we are integrating with each of different 
platforms, APIs, and optimizing the experience for everybody rather than, hey, if you're in this ecosystem, we optimize it and make it good for you, which is what, you know, major platforms tend to do. And, but our target customer profile is, if you are using this, you're typically an externally facing person in your organization, right? Because if you're somebody who's just scheduling meetings with your own team, you probably just use Outlook or Google Calendar, pull it up their schedule, and you know when they are available. It's the, for the people who are talking to, people like you, right? You're talking to multiple guests. They are from different organizations. You don't control what calendar they use, and they are not going to share their calendar availability with you. So <clears throat> this is basically externally facing people, and for them, this interoperability for any platform, any email client you use is really important. What do you make of the fact that Calendly now is, at least according to a TechCrunch article from last year, it's worth $3 billion from this one feature that doesn't have the flexibility? Is it that it's just easier to use and it's made for the mass public versus yours, which requires a little bit of thought? Is it that it's got, I don't know, uh, a head start on others? Do you think that they're, yeah, what do you think is the difference? I don't think we, ours is uh, require more thought to use. It's just that ours is something nobody's ever seen before. So it does seems like more sophisticated, but like when you actually count the number of clicks and number of things that you have to do to use it, it's actually a lot simpler. Um, I think they're just, you know, they have a head start and they have a great sales team, right? Mm. And they have great... But their free is also great. a good sales team, right? You use their free right. and then you're telling other people about Calendly with the free. And then Calendly. by the way, mm-hmm. you might want, they, yes. some of them might sign yeah, up. Yeah, scheduling itself is, you know, the product itself is like viral by right. just in build in virality for because you're meeting with people and it's usually across organizations right so it's not just like you're meeting with your own team is going from one organization to another i think they just are really well-run SaaS business well you also have a free version it's available at boomerang it's, it's on boomerangapp.com but then when i go into one of the links i'm in boomerang for gmail maybe because that's what i have is gmail uh gmail but you also have a free version that goes out you don't promote it in the free version right i don't know that people will know that this comes from boomerang uh it is it has the bar that we have we now have like links for like this is coming from boomerang now it is okay and then when you go to the landing page, you will see like this is, you know, you're booking through Boomerang and then meeting events and stuff all have like coming from Boomerang. All right, I got to close out with a personal observation. So I've watched a bunch of videos of you. You have these beautiful dresses that have the Boomerang logo on them. I didn't expect you to come in today in a business suit that looks great that also has the Boomerang logo on it. Everyone else has a T-shirt. <laughs> Or something else. Tell me about this. This is intentional. You have somebody embroider your clothes, don't you? You buy high-end clothes and then you embroider yes. it. Because, you know, like people talk about how Steve Jobs wear the same thing. And I decided that any kinds of professional engagement, I don't want to worry about what I'm going to wear and spend my brain cycles on it. 
so that I can focus on the conversation, right? So this morning I was rushing to get the two kids out the door and then I can kind of like take a pause to think about what we're going to talk about, but I don't have to think about what I'm going to wear. So, Wait, But it's not always the same. I've seen you do it. I thought maybe it was. It's not. It's different. But you know, I have a set of clothes. They all look professional. They don't look like I'm wearing a t-shirt or the polo shirt that a lot of people have with their logo on it. It's going to look good, but it will still have our logo on it so that I'm representing the brand even in photos. So if Andrew's just doing a quick search for my photo to see what I'm going to look like today, he's going to see the logo too. Yep. We basically did that mostly out of like, I don't know, we, we're kind of quirky. We do a lot of weird thing as a company i can i can talk about all the crazy things that we do but this is one of the things we have uh button down like long sleeve button downs for men with embroidered shirt of uh, so that they can you know go up so i have two or three dresses all embroidered and then this jacket i can just throw on anything and be ready <laughs> all right <laughs> Well, congratulations on your success and your refound enthusiasm for the business. I've been watching you for years and I'm going to continue to follow you. And I think the big lesson that I took from this was that the competition from the bigger guys is not, obviously it's not great. It'd be better if Gmail had none of these features and you had a monopoly on the features. But barring that, the next best is to know that this is being introduced to people who then say, I need more of this. I, I now see that Snooze is a clear part of email engagement for professionals, but I have deeper needs and Boomerang is going to do this for me. I have, so these professionals are saying to themselves, I understand that I can get a calendar service with a, with a, a page, but I have deeper needs for more granular interaction with people and customization, and Boomerang is going to do that. And that feels like an interesting playbook that I can take away from this conversation. Yeah, I think we have this kind of deeper insight into what customers are doing and what they need because we talk to them constantly. We have great relationship with them. I have a funny story. So we are raising our prices for the first time in 11 years. And we send out the email saying, hey, everybody, we're raising our prices. And, you know, to lock in your old price, we have this button you can click and lock in your old price for one more year. And we have many, many supportive customers emailing in saying, hey, yes, you guys should raise your prices. I'm a business owner. I know you know, what these times are happily locking in for the next year. And then there are people who are like, I'm actually not locking in because I'm willing to pay the extra price for you so that you'll have more revenue sooner. <laughs> and it's like the most heartwarming type mm. of support that you can, you know, imagine, right? Because we are, we're a scrappy, tiny company that focuses on our customer needs and what we can do for them in their daily lives, saving time. And they know that they respond to it. There is something very warm about a group of customers who can say, I want you to keep going because you're helping me. And yes. the internet has been really good about bringing that out. And I felt like Maybe that's just behind us because now it's all much more transactional, but you're reminding me that's mm -hmm. true. And you increased your prices recently and you told me the reaction before we started, you told me the reaction was? 
fantastic. We have, you know, way lower than expected rate of cancellation, way more of like, like just the emails that are coming in, we expected like there will be a few grumpy people, you know, kind of mad about price increase, which is normal with any consumer product. And we did not get any negative feedback and all the feedback's been like, it's about time or I'm in support, I'm with you. So I think I'm going to write a long blog post on how we approach this and what type of email bodies that we tested. We tested two email that we send to kind of test the sentiment. And the first one was just like straight up businessy. You know, we look at how Slack did their price increase and pretty much copy that type of message. And then the next one was like very personable. Hey, we, you know, we've been building this for 11 years. We never raised our prices. Here are the things that we have built. And, you know, with their revenue and the support, these are the things that we've been able to accomplish, some of which includes like building schools in Burma, right? We donate a, a proceeds of our profit to build schools in Burma, uh, build, help with the kind of carbon captured labs. So academic research lab working on carbon capture. So like we basically tell the customers what their support and, you know, subscriptions are able to create. And then we send a picture of the team with, you know, basically we recreated the picture that we sent originally 11 years ago with just now a slightly bigger team and a different message we said. So original pictures that will code for food, which was like, hey, we we need to charge for this for us to eat, right? Now we're like still coding, still eating. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and people, I think people really respond to that type of personal connection yeah, with the team. Yeah. All right. I certainly have. I mean, I've really connected with you and your team over the years, and it's fun to actually get a chance. As soon as I heard that I had a chance to interview, I said, yes, I want to find out what happened. <laughs> I want to find out how they've been doing this, how they've been growing. And I'm glad I've gotten to know you here through this interview. For anyone who's interested, it's boomerangapp.com. And of course, I want to thank my two sponsors. The first, if you need to hire developers, go to lemon.io slash Mixergy. And the second, when you're ready to do email marketing, and everybody's always ready to do email marketing. So that's a trick question. Now that you're ready, I should say, to do email marketing, go to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. Mo, thanks so much for being on here. Thank you for having me. Cool. Bye, everyone.